test. There we go. Um, just side note, if you uh, are my age, uh, Generation Xer, 51, and you grew up, uh, you will remember in the 80, late 80s and 90s, the, um, every movie, everything we saw was always talking about the drug cartel, right? I mean, even America was saying a war on drugs. That's what I grew up with. So, uh, going with my sons uh, to that place, I was only five days removed from my mother dying, and I decided to still go. And um, one, because she was excited for them going, and so, and then we had planned it for a long time. So anyway, I, but I said, I just can't preach. I can't do the things they'd asked me to do going down there. And uh, so the first service I go to, we haven't been there long, and one of the coaches, who is my age, uh, shares his testimony and uh, does the service, and... He was part of the drug cartel. So, you know, if you grow up thinking the thing you've always feared, we're right in the Medellin was the headquarters of everything that we were fighting. And, and there we are. And, um, and I walked up and heard his story. And this is day two for me. And I say, that was worth my trip here just to hear your story. And um, it reminded me that God's at work, even in the face of death and grieving, that he is working. I needed to hear that. Well, <laughs> come to find out of the 40 coaches that are all my age and a part of the program and leading it all over the city, that became every story was the same as the first one. I felt almost embarrassed, and I said, your story, but it was the story of all the coaches. And so may we be encouraged that even God and his providence is working all over the world, and he's at work. And it was one of the most powerful things for me to see and hear uh, in some of those men's lives. All right, so we are... Um, uh, we are finishing up, we're in part two of our work, which we took a break and we're speaking last week to uh, address just one of the gospel uniquely in a unique way for the football team while they were here. And so let me just look at a couple of passages here that you'll see. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not of yourself, uh, your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so let no man can boast. And you see that famous verse 10? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared for us in advance. You'll remember I put that up on the screen, that verse and the other Matthew verse. In the same way, let your light shine before all others so that we may see your good works, and so that they may see our good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. And we just pose the question, when you see those works, what comes to mind? What is your first initial response of these famous verses? What kind of work do you think God is saying that he's prepared for us and that people see and want to believe? Well, we, we, we said that that word there, uh, ergon in the Greek, um, is actually a word that carries a more robust meaning than just spiritual work or work of the church. We talked about how we um, uh, so much think that we think about ministry, we think about a vision of a grace going for the city, we think so church-centric. Now, I'm not trying to lower some of the work of the church. What I'm hoping to do is to heighten and broaden your understanding of what it means to be God's people and minister in this place. And... Um, those, those words, those works there actually are words that actually mean more robustly, and if not more than uh, this, but for sure the idea uh, pertaining to business, employment, enterprise, and industry, that's actually the works uh, that's part of those two words there about the works that are to be seen and the works we are to do. And that tells us a lot about the vocational work and the rule that we have as image bearers of God's spirit. They, they will see our work, literally the work you're doing in industry and enterprise as well, and they will 
give praise to his name. And so what we talked about a couple of weeks ago by review, and I won't review everything, but just in the absence of a clear sense of how people's work matters to God, people don't oftentimes attach uh, meanings to the work that aren't really uh, biblical. It's more of a worldly success narrative that we have about our vocations. And um, we think work is only significant if it pays well or opens doors to special advancements, uh, social advancements, or maximizes their sense of personal satisfaction. And sometimes people find meaning they're working for a cause or a person they admire. They, they, they scramble to try to find meaning for their work because they have this dichotomy that there's spiritual work that's different from what I'm doing in, in, uh, out in the world and there. And we create, in the God's church, in our place, we create a false dichotomy. That there's something secular and and something that is sacred when it comes to work. And really all of life, what we believe the Bible is, all of life is sacred. Now, uh, and all of life matters to our God and King. So all the work, all that serves God and King's pur- purpose, um, all work does, it has equal dignity and value. And so um, in a sense, if you will, I'm trying to lower <laughs> the, uh, the clergy and heighten the saints, the priests of the saints. You remember we said a couple of weeks ago that there were 11 tribes that weren't Le- Le- Levitical tribes. There was only one priestly tribe. So don't think special in the work that I do and Kevin and I do. Think that God's chips for his kingdom advancing are on the 11. That's where you put your chips, where you put the most people to go forward. And so the priesthood does have a unique role in that and mine and that, but that God is um, uh, the the hierarchy that we feel is oftentimes untrue. And so we have a vision vision to bless our city for the next four or five years. That's grace for the city. And uh, I want you to know and remember that your work, your vocations, the domain that God has given you to rule over in your space, that is a it's not a platform only for evangelism. It's not just to raise money for the church and all this. Your work and how you do it matters and is how God's shalom goes to the world. That his work was central uh, to the work of human beings and his gospel and how we bring flourishing to this place. All right? So um, one way to think about it, and so when you're studying Genesis, right, I mean, um, we... <laughs> We can get down in the weeds expositing just that passage. I'm trying to, when we, when we see a passage, we try to make sure and remember that, that passage is in the context of the whole Bible. And there's a survey of it. And so what, one thing I want to show, show you here is just that there's a storyline in the Bible. The storyline, theologians over history, you know, time have kind of said, this is kind of the main progression of the Bible. There's a few other words some people use. Sometimes they have five. But in general, you can think of the Bible in this sense. The Bible unfolds as creation, then the fall, where sin comes into the world, and then redemption, that there's a story of redemption, that God is addressing sin, uh, which is a large chunk of the scriptures that pertain to that, and then restoration, that one day God will fully restore, eliminate sin, and his people uh, will be brought to, uh, actually heaven will come to earth and creation will be restored and, um, and all things new. And so the storyline, let, let me just say that pattern, you can really think about anything in your life and think, uh, let's say this, I want to think about parenting. Well, uh, how was, what, what, what were the purposes of parenting and family? It's central to the beginnings of God and his people. Family's right at the middle of it. Then you think about, well, how has the fall affected it? And how is it being redeemed? And how do I need Christ in my faith to affect it, to overcome the fall? And one day, family will be fully restored. Do you see that? So you can take really anything, any area of your life, and walk it through those four, that storyline to understand it. So this morning, what I want to do is just um, 
is, is to um, work through that, but we're only going to work through the first two. And so I divided it up this way. What are the purposes of work seen? We're going to get a little bit more specific. What are the purposes? Two weeks ago, we kind of just gave the origins of work, but now we're going to do a little bit more into the purposes. What are the purposes of work seen in the creation and the fall? There's some purposes that we're going to pull out. And then next week, what we'll finish with is how does our faith impact work seen in redemption and restoration? All right? So that's what we'll do. This morning, we'll look at what are the purposes of work seen in creation and fall. All right? Let me pray. God, I'm thankful uh, for our brothers at Costico in Medellin, Colombia for the last uh, geez, 40 years. That Marcos and the men there have been just laboring. They've been laboring in work. They do factories and um, doing regular work. They've also been doing the work of mission. And there's lots of things they're doing. And, um, and Father, so I, I pray uh, for us uh, this morning that you will continue to help us work and rule and subdue our place in the world. Danville, Kentucky and Central Kentucky. Uh, and... Would you help us to do it in a way that would bring shalom and flourish, uh, flourishing by just being image bearers in this place, and particularly in our vocations, God? Would you help us to see the centrality of that? And may you also make us um, a church that brings uh, to bear uh, the redemptive needs that people need as well. So bless us our time. And Holy Spirit, would you illuminate the scriptures? Would you illuminate um, them to our minds and our hearts? In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. All right, well, first from our passage, we're here in Genesis 2. And uh, the first purpose, and these are a couple, these are a little bit redempt, uh, repetitive, but the first, uh, we looked at this two weeks ago, but the first purpose is to bear of work, uh, we learn in creation, is to bear the image of God. So think about this way, just logically. Uh, we didn't look at the whole creation story, but God's an image bearer. Genesis 1 tells us we're made in his image. So if God's a worker and we bear his image, that means we're to be workers, right? So part of, the, part of what we do is bear the image of God well. Do, how do we reflect God as a worker who faithfully works? and then rested on the seventh day. Uh, but how do we bear that image? And that's where it is. You'll see in our passage there uh, in verse 5, it's such an interesting thought. This is where, in Genesis 2, this is where, um, you, you can think of it in Genesis 1, we kind of got the broad strokes, and Genesis 2 zooms into the creation story and gives us the specifics. We're going to see Adam's going to be made, and then Eve right after this. But this is when he's making Adam. And so... Um, when no bush of the field, verse 5, was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field has yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. So one thing to see there, it's interesting, right? Do you see that what, what it's telling us is that God was holding back creation and some of the growing of the, of the, of the plants and the uh, vegetation. Why? Because he hadn't made man. Because he's going to put man... To rule it and to bear his image and do what he's doing it right there. So one, just so you see image bearing here uh, is that we hold back, we rule creation, we, we, we lead it and we rule over it and he's doing that. And then notice this, then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. So there's the intimacy that God breathes that, that happens to human beings. It's different from the rest of creation that he actually breathes life into us. And so, have you ever thought, like, all right, I know, maybe many of you know, realize that the way God created man, he took us from dirt, and then he 
breathed from his own being life into us. But have you ever thought about that while he was breathing that life into you, it was in the context of work that he was holding back for them to do? Like sometimes we think of, I don't know, spiritually, how do you think about it? He breathed life in me to sing and to praise and to do all that. But the context of him breathing life was why he was holding creation back for a work that man was going to do. He's holding the water back so that the vegetation is not growing. So then when the man comes, man will be there to do it. And what will man do? He will bear the image of God. He's breathed into it in a sense uh, we would do. Let me just uh, pause for a second and say to you, all of you, if you have life today, which you hear, and that means that God has breathed into you. Whatever your domain you've been given to rule over or work, you have power to rule it because you're an image bearer of God. That may feel like you don't. The very thing is almost a handoff. The very thing he's doing, we can't do it just like him because he puts a tree there to remind us we're not God. But the very thing he's doing, we do to the creation. We hold it back. We, when we do it rightly, we take creation and all its resources and all that, and we rule over it the way he was right there. Just want to remind you that one of the purposes was to bear his image. Second purpose we see from creation, is to glorify him and experience his presence. Now, I'm playing there on the Westminster Confession, right? What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. That the way that we most glorify God is by enjoying him. So whatever you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. But the Westminster Confession, our belief, and you've heard this before, is that the way we most glorify him is by enjoying him, okay? And to be in his presence and to love him. So I'm playing on those words. But look at verses 8 and 9. Here's the, if the first uh, uh, purpose was to bear his image, the second one was to glorify him and experience his presence. Now look at verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground of the Lord God made to spring for every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Skipping some of the other verses, you go down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now, why did I make Sarah read those river names, which so Tigris and Euphrates we know? I bet she was frustrated. Why are those in there? All the scripture readers always look at and say, oh no, what passages do I have to read, right? Part of those are there um, to let us know that Eden was not a figment of our imagination. It was a real place in real time in history. The Tigris and the Euphrates are still there. All right, so, but the word eat in there carries this idea. It's a word that means, uh, we, rooted in the word that we get paradise. And so, um, so, so notice, in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. He put him there. And it says that he did it, he put him there to work it and to keep it. All right? So he's created the world, but then he creates a special domain for man. All right? And this is paradise. And it's a place, uh, we think that the other places early in the other verses is talking about the land and he was holding back his all of creation. Potentially he creates a special place for man to be with God in his paradise and in this garden. He creates the garden from Adam. Right, but what's interesting is, you see that what he told him, when he put him in that garden, it was to work it and to keep it. Those two words there in the Hebrew, work and keep, are the same words 
that are used to describe the work of priests and the Levites in the tabernacle over in Numbers 3 and 18. They were priestly spiritual words. And so what I want you to see is the paradise, the glory to, to, to experience the presence of God was priestly and worldly in a sense. You see how they're blended there? He didn't just put him in the garden. He put him in the garden to work it. And the language that he used was priestly and language that would later be used for the tabernacle. Meaning somehow what you and I have to understand is that, is that our work has a sacredness and a spirituality to it and a realness to it that's to our hands and our feet in a real place in a real time that we experience the presence of God. Now, that should blow you away. Do you believe that you can experience the presence of God in the very vocation that he's called you to? To be a student? To be a mom? Some of the other roles? Whatever profession, from accountant to doctor? To landscaping? To... I mean, I could just go down the list, whatever the professions. I forget, Kevin's told me at some point how many different professions we have in our church. But that there is where the presence of God was to be encountered. And then notice the words in verse, um, the end of verse 8, in, in the middle of verse 15. God put him there. I mean, you see the intentionality of it? God is taking him, and he's like, I'm, he puts him where? He puts him in the garden. What does he want him to do? To work it. God, that's God's intention for you and for me. And to be in his presence and enjoy him in work. It is a parenthesis, but I can't not pointed out. You see verse 9 there where it says, and out of the ground of the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Do you see what, I mean, he was like, taste, you know, God, Kevin loves to talk about taste buds, that that's a cool thing. That it's clear God wants us to enjoy things. But the food was described in the tree. Now right after that, it's going to say the tree of knowledge that he said, you can't eat at this one. But the place was beautiful for them and they enjoyed it. Maybe this is why all the cooking shows, when they evaluate their cooks and their chefs, it's about presentation and how it tastes, right? How does it look good? That's what the scriptures tell us, that it looked good to the eyes and it tasted good. And that place, man was working. I hope that lands on you in a beautiful way. Thirdly, we learn in verse 5 just um, that it uh, also, when you see in verse 5, that when no, when no bush of the field was yet uh, in the land and no small plant of the field was yet sprung up for the Lord God, we've looked at that passage. Uh, the third purpose is to bring order and management. And I just want to highlight that. So, even what, that, what that passage alone shows, and what the rest of creation shows that, is that there was an order. It took water in order to bring the... Uh, he had a mist going. It takes water to... Uh, I work left to right. It takes water for the vegetation, for the vegetation to work. I mean, you see the order and the structure that it takes for those things to work, and God was doing that. 
And so, and then his design of his creation has great order. I mean, have you ever, do you ever think about all the, all the unseen forces right now that we can't see, but the order that God holds right now of this creation of this world, that if gravity were to change, if, if, uh, if, the, if our distance from the sun were moved, if we were to, all these things that he's put in order, we don't live without the order. And one of the things we do is that we do the same thing. Part of what we do in our work and vocations, we bring order or management to the things that are before us. Now, not everybody, uh, and you'll see that some of, these, uh, some of these purposes, not all of your jobs or vocations are em- emphasized in that one. Some, but some jobs are really heavy on this. Where they're good, your job and your vocation, one of the things, the way it brings shalom to this community and this place is by bringing order and structure to that. Um. I've often, in most of the leadership books I've read, there's one I read years ago, and uh, within the workforce, they'll talk about managers and leaders, and uh, are you a manager, or are you a leader, and managers do the right things right, and leaders do the right things, and they kind of pitch that together. But the point is, even a leader is bringing order to the direction they need to go. And um, the leader, um, one way to describe leadership is that... I've loved this term. One way, some people describe leadership in this way, that leadership is bringing clarity to the ambiguous, bringing clarity to ambiguity. Like, which way do we go? How many times in your own family or wherever you live, just like, you just, we don't know what to do. And leadership is to come in and say, I think we ought to do this, and we should go in this way. That's, that's bringing order to the ambiguity. Or uh, our manager who may bring uh, order to the things that are in fray or out of order. And things must work in this way, and the water must come first, and then the vegetation. Then we need to be able to cultivate it. Which leads to the next fourth purpose, which we see here. In the same verse, in verse 5, is that also one of the purposes of man's vocations and works is to cultivate or create power drawn out of what God has made us. So uh, God doesn't tell, in, in the creation story, he doesn't tell them how to rule and subdue. I don't know if you ever paid attention to that. He doesn't tell them, here's six steps, how to make the plants do this, and here's four steps. I mean, it leaves a lot of openness to that, and that creates creativity and thoughtfulness uh, in all aspects of that. Um, I, it's beautiful how the scriptures are written in so many ways, because guess what? If we were, even when it got down, if we would just try to follow the book, right? And we wouldn't be human because humans create and God was creative. And so part of what our purpose is to do is to take this block of earth and some of its resources and be creative and cultivate it so it brings power and draw things out for it to use and to make this place flourish. Well, theologians say, some theologians say the reason he was holding it back was that so man, because it tells us in the passage we read, there was a mist that God was watering the plants like he could, but now there's rivers around. And guess what? Man is going to have to cultivate and use the powers around him in order to bring forth the food that he's going to need and draw it out. Have you ever been to dams, which I've told stories of growing up on the Tennessee River, where, we, where TVA, the Tennessee Valley Authority, during the Great Depression, was created to bring jobs, but also bring cheap electricity to most of the people in the southeast. And how do they do that? By taking the river and damming it up and cultivating and harnessing the water and its power to produce electricity so people could live and have light and cook and all that. That's what humans do. And some of your jobs have that great emphasis that you take something and look at it. The carpenter takes a piece of wood and he sees the potential and he cultivates it out of it. And he designs it to be something. The builder takes all the raw materials and brings order and direction to it and cultivates something that brings flourishing to this place. Um, 
you see that we draw the power out. I mean, think about we are fed. All of us are fed because somewhere at the very beginning, men, somewhere, our farmers figure out what to raise and what to do in the soil and how to do it and what time, and they're cultivating the land. We take the earth and dirt and some seeds and we cultivate that in order to feed 9 billion people. That's what we do. And that's, that's image-bearing of God. Then the fifth purpose we see, and it's more implied here, I think, because Eve is coming just in the very next verse, Eve, it wasn't good for man to be alone, and wasn't, man couldn't do it by himself, and male and female, and we can't get into all of that. But remember in the Genesis 1, God created, let us make man in our image. And so man was relational in a community, and then this family, and he says, be fruitful and multiply. Well, guess how one of the ways work will bless all the families of the earth is that work will feed them and bless them and help them to flourish. It will give them purpose. It will give them the resources and the food that they need. So part of work's purpose is to bless communities and to bless people and to help them to flourish. So think about those three or those five that I've just given you. And you should take some time. What I'm asking you to do is to take some time and think about your own profession. Particularly, I'm going to have one more here in the fall. But one, think about your profession and think about... Uh, the first two, I bear God's image, and also I experience the presence of God. You can do those two things in your work. But then thirdly, take the others and evaluate, which does mine do? Do I, do I bring order? Do I cultivate and draw out power? Do I bless people? It might be a combination of the two, those two. It may be only primarily in one of them. You may remember last year, we had Jonathan Sawtell. Uh, a worker in the uh, industry here in town. We had a farmer, we had John Hines, and we had a school teacher. And they shared how they feel like which components in a story of redemption, how they feel like God is using their profession to hold back and flourish in one of these areas. So process that. And may it bring you life and purpose. So lastly, the fall comes in the other component. And we do have one more purpose that I need to highlight for us this morning. And in Genesis 3, 17 through 19, you'll see, uh, here comes the fall. And Adam and God, and this is after Adam's fallen, um, Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit. And God has spoken to Eve, and she, uh, there will be difficulty around uh, raising children and childbirth. The family will be struck. It will be hard for her. There will be a unique struggle. And Adam's unique struggle will be around the idea of work. Now, you'll see this. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the trees which I've commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. Now, just... So sin comes in the world, and obviously our, our work is affected. But notice this, that it's not, it doesn't say work is cursed. It says the ground is cursed. So what, it, what it's saying is, is that what we, will seek to, what we will seek to bring shalom to and rule and have dominion over and, and cultivate, all that will, will just will be fighting against us is basically what it means. It just won't go the way it should. It's interesting that Romans 8 says that the whole earth is groaning for Christ to return so that the curse, in a sense, will be lifted. That even the physical world has, doesn't go as it should. And so 
The word is cursed. So every, there's a reason that we all wake up on Mondays or Sunday or we, we, we have this thing, this pit in our stomach because we are in a fight to live out the very thing we were called to because sin in the fall has touched everything. And not only that has it affected the curse of the ground, but it's also affected us. And so what the Bible teaches, what we believe, is that we also now are born of Adam and Eve, that we have sin in us. And it's not that we're all as evil as we could be, but sin has affected every part of us. But not all of us are as bad as we could be, but sin has touched every part of our heart and our minds. And so it's a double whammy. And notice the language of it, right? I mean, goodness gracious. Um, in pain, you shall eat. <laughs> I mean, it, that's, that's difficult. Thorns and thistles. You got thorns and things that just won't go the way. Things that seem to work against you, right? Uh, I hate weeds. I hate them. Um, and then notice, by the sweat of your face, you will eat. And actually, this ground you came from, in a sense, it'll kind of win. You'll be buried. Now, Christ is going to win ultimately. But do you see how strong that is? The language of that. And I'm, I'm amazed how often I forget this reality. I'm amazed at it. Um, we'll look at next week. There's a reason I, I, I shouldn't give up. And I don't want us to go to cynicism. But here's the reality of what the fall has done, right? I'm amazed how, how literally I forget it. I'll give you one example. It's Saturday. We got a lot to get done. I have a big yard. I got plans to rule and subdue and cut back and weed eat and all kinds of things. I got great plans. I'm made in the image of God to do that and my family and we're going to do it. But guess what? As soon as I start, flat tire on the lawnmower. Next thing I do is I, I can't get that weed eater to, whoever designed that was an Albert engineer who figured out how to design and get weed whacker, right? How do you get those string in there, right? Then my kids were fighting because there's something, you're not working as hard as not. They're lazy. There's a fall. And then I got to take 25 minutes to work out an emotional strife. And we reconcile, but now I'm 30 minutes behind. And I, the 20 things I thought we would do, we do five. Isn't that right? <laughs> And I can tell that I don't have to say anymore that you're connecting the dots. That is every part of our life, is it not? Talk to the engineers. The assembly line, they've got a great plan for the assembly line. And if it were to work perfectly, they'd never have a job, right? But it, the fall makes it difficult. And not only that, a little extra to that is that we also get addicted to our work, we relate to it wrong now, and we become workaholics, it becomes our identity, or we run from it and we become lazy, or we become cynical, and we want to just view it as a paycheck and nothing matters but the weekends. I mean, it's, it's no easy game. So, the last purpose of work now, I gave you the first five, but the sixth purpose of work I wanted to offer to you this morning is that we are to push back the fall. That we bring spring in the winter where we go, and we keep trying to push it back. And many of your jobs are even created. Like, I don't think there'll be preachers and priests in heaven. I don't think you need it. So many of our jobs are just to push back the fall. 
oftentimes my dear friend Dr. Ellis, we talk about as him being a doctor and Dr. Holly's here and we doctors, they're like, man, I I can't win against the thing I'm fighting against all the time. All people are moving towards death. But we still push to bring shalom and peace and care and we fight it. So I finished with this to say to you this morning, just think about which of these purposes. Three of them we all do, and some of them are a little unique. We all are pushing back the fall somehow in whatever we're doing. And, uh, but some of them, the order and, and um, cultivating and bringing blessing lots of people, some of you are just doing only that or combos of that. But think about those. Think about what God has called you to, because we need shalom to come to Danville. So think about it well and process it. And if you're struggling, I want to say to you this morning, if you're struggling with the domain that God has given you, and my guess is many of us are, maybe half of us, maybe all of us, I don't know. But wherever you are in your vocation, the work that God has given you to do, maybe you're cynical, maybe you feel like it doesn't match your gifts, maybe it's not going well, maybe the pressure's so much, you don't know if you can live up to it, or maybe it's so, I'd, I don't know. But I know you have thorns and thistles. And whatever it is, I want to remind you this morning that you have a Savior who didn't sit up in the clouds and in heaven and stay away, who actually came to earth and worked for 30 years. He knows every aspect of what the fall was like. He did stonework and probably had to carpentry and probably had to figure out how to pay and provide and to put me. I mean, he knows what it's like. He's not a God who is far off. And yet he was perfect in every way, but he's familiar with our struggle. And he cares. And sometimes it's so funny when we, um, this made me rethink the upper room discourse. You know, when Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. I know you're scared. To the, he's there with the disciples and he's about to be married. Uh, he's about to be crucified and arrested. And he, 76 times in the New Testament, he says, do not fear, do not fear. And I always think of that spiritual. And I'm trying to retrain my man, mind to make sure we also, some of the fear we face is in our vocation. Don't let your heart be troubled. For I go and prepare a place for you. I am with you, and I know you, and I'm the one who's still ruling this kingdom. Even though the fall looks like it's really hard to overcome, and it is, I know what it's like, and I'm with you. And I care. So, and then lastly, just that, and our real hope is found, and there, there was a work that you and I could not do. And that was obey the law perfectly and save ourselves from the sin that we're entangled in. And that work Christ did perfectly out of his love to purchase us and to pay and went to a cross to pay for the very work that we couldn't do. And that one we admit. The only way that we are okay is by his grace. And that grace has great implications to how you work. And that's what we'll look at next week. Lord, help us to respond in, um, in a way that uh, has hope and repentance and even comfort. And um, I pray that we would be a people that is breathing in our understanding of 
what it means to labor and to work, that you would help us to not be a church that creates a divide, such a huge divide between the secular and sacred, but would you help us to be a church who champions the central high calling that you, that was integral to how you made us and what you, in, in the very, that Eden paradise of being in your presence and working. Somehow that's the greatest, uh, one of the greatest designs for our soul. Would you help us to learn that? Would you be with all the people in, in this morning who are struggling? In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.